right in front of him. Crowder looking, throws it alley. Oh! Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show for Wednesday, March 29th. I'm Chris Manning. Brennan Clean's with me. We have Ricky O'Donnell, the man, the myth, the legend from SB Nation with us today. We're going to do a big 2022 NBA redraft. If you haven't already, uh, rate and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow us on TikTok, Instagram, and all of your you know various social media platforms we have a lot to get to just in the top not a lot just a quick little speed run and then we get to the big stuff the 2022 redraft let's just start with i think the biggest bummer in the nba right now which is that uh joel Embiid did not play in denver on monday night Jokic is now the mvp favorite again it's still pretty tight between him and Embiid. we'll see how the the last stretch of this goes but ricky i want to i want to ask you first as our guest Scale of 1 to 10, how big of a bummer is it that Embiid does not get to play Jokic? And even if that doesn't provide like the clarity or anything, just the fact that like we didn't get it, that we didn't get that Monday night main event. I'm going to say that bummer is like an 8.5 out of 10. It's a big bummer. I, I let out a noticeable sigh when I got the push <laughs> alert from Woj that Embiid wasn't going to play. It's a shame because I felt like this MVP race got real interesting at their last head-to-head matchup. I want to say that was on like a Sunday afternoon, maybe a Saturday afternoon, a few months ago earlier this winter when Embiid kind of dominated that matchup. I mean, Sixers got a big win. Embiid was tremendous. Jokic, kind of an average to bad game by his standards. Uh, so it would have been great to see him go at it again. I also think that, you know, a big part of Jokic's MVP case is just his durability. He doesn't miss games like this very often or any games. So it if you are a Jokic MVP backer, it sort of like makes the point for you that like Jokic is almost always available. Embiid sort of been in and out of the lineup uh, over the last few years. But it's just a bummer because it's fun to watch these two guys go at each other. They're both incredible players, regardless of how you feel about the MVP. So I'm sort of sick of the MVP. I kind of find it to be a very boring I debate. I, I almost, hear it. I almost hope Embiid wins, even though I yeah. think I would vote for Jokic. Just because, you know, Jokic got two and Embiid's been there the last couple of years. Certainly he had really good cases. So I think objectively, I would probably give it to Jokic. But part of me is sort of hoping Embiid wins just because I find it to be a little boring to talk about. What do you guys think? I mean, it was I, I, I'll, I'll one up. I'll say it was a nine bummer um, in my very scientifically crafted calculation there on how much of a bummer it was to not have these guys play. Because I just think we were all sort of like uh, we had circled this one. Right. And it felt like it was going to give us our last little juice of content through the rest of the season uh, a little bit. But I also I mean, look, I think the, the 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 longevity the durability point is the one that that I that came to mind for me it's it's I mean Embiid if he played the rest of the Sixers games I think he gets to like 70 uh, 67 games played it's not like it's going to be some sort of lost season for him but I just feel like he's running out of steam a little bit between the injuries and just you know I watched him Saturday night play the Suns and he he just it was one of those Embiid games where you can tell that physically and uh he's either feeling pain or he's just tired and mostly he's just going to try to get to the line. And that's, that's going to be the game plan. And we've all seen those from him before. And so even when he has played lately, it hasn't felt quite the same as what it was during their win streak. So yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a bummer. Um, but 
I want to swing back to something Ricky said. Are you guys both push notification guys for for Woj? Are we are, like no? You allow no. it to come all the way uh -huh. to the front screen? No, okay. I I don't. I turned off all notifications for Twitter because like my brain is already goop enough, and like I don't need I don't need that like hitting me like and just getting like a, a innocuous like Shams tweeting like his FanDuel TV clips or something. Like I don't I don't need that. You know, I just don't. I don't think I've had Twitter notifications on for years, so I was just surprised to hear that because I was like, that sounds incredibly overwhelming. I understand Ricky has a much more important job than either you or I, Chris, so it's probably uh, partially related to that, but uh, <laughs> I, I feel like I would be sick if I had to see those gentlemen's tweets that consistently just jump into my life out of nowhere. Uh, important is not the right word to use about my job, <laughs> but I have a job in that requires me to be on top of breaking news, so yeah. I do look at it for that. Also, as I've gone into this more and more, I don't really like staring at Twitter. Yeah. I'm just like, you know, give me what I need to know, like, and they'll tell me what I need to know if there's some breaking so news. So it's a filtration I would system rather, for you. I'd rather do that than just, like, stare at Twitter all day. So. No, that's I don't fair. know. I mean, it's 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 rough either way, but that that's sort of where my head comes <laughs> when in. When it's Twitter, it. there's, there's not a good uh, version of events, I don't think. Um, Chris, any more thoughts on the MVP, or do we want to move on to really what, in my opinion... I know we're doing a 2020 redraft. That's going to be fun. But I mean, the next thing we're talking about is kind of the really why I'm here. It's why I chose to log on today. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. I, I, I was like a nine and a half, but like I did get to watch Ohio State, uh, Virginia Tech, like uninterrupted. And that was that was OK. I, I, I just sucks that we don't get these matchups all the time. And like, I understand this for like very valid reasons with the playoffs close. It just it kind of it just kind of sucks. And like I would I would like for more of these matchups to happen and all that stuff. But Okay, big story, big, big thing. The more exciting thing that isn't like, oh, like, are we going to talk about the MVP again? Is that Caitlin Clark just continues to, to be Caitlin Clark. And I, the ceiling feels limitless for her at this point in time. She is the first player in the history with a 30 or 40 point triple double. She was already the first player to ever eclipse 900 points to 300 assists. She, if she just hits the same number of points next year, uh, Brennan pulled this, she's going to hit the the all-time record for NCAA women's basketball scoring. She is going to be draft eligible in 2024. And I even though that class is going to have a lot of big names, Paige Beckers, Cameron Brink, you know, Angel Reese, Haley Van Lith, I just can't imagine she's not the number one pick. And that team should be like trying to tank for Caitlin Clark in 2024 if tanking exists in that way in the WNBA. Um I like to me, like we're like the men's tournament obviously a little more chaotic. There's a lot more just kind of randomness in that tournament. But regardless of who the players are and men or women, she feels to me like the star of March and it doesn't feel particularly close. Yeah, Ricky, I want to hear your thoughts on her because we've we've talked pretty much after every little moment and, and milestone of of Clark's season this I, year. But I'm I'm preparing to go to Iowa next year to watch her play in person. I've decided that I should do this. I, I do have an uncle who like lives nearby. So like I have like a like a, I don't have to buy a hotel, but th this is how in I am. I want to go see her yeah. in person in Iowa. And because you're never going to get to recreate that. You're just not. That building gets gets pretty insane. So I don't think that would be a bad choice. But I wanted to add one more little little stat nugget here because this came out after I prepped the outline. Chris, two point five million people watched the Iowa Louisville game that I saw from an airplane, but I was tuned in. I don't know if they count those. Um 2.5 million people, and the stat is that that's more than any NBA regular season game has gotten in terms of viewership 
on ESPN this season. And that was, uh, that was on ESPN, not on ABC, whatever. So, uh, it feels like the basketball world is starting to agree with you, Chris, that, that she is really the, the show right now in this sport. But Ricky, tell us what you think about this person and how, uh, how high are you putting the ceiling? Are you limiting kind of what you think she might be able to do in not only her senior season, but also when she becomes a pro? Yeah, I think that's why this matchup against South Carolina is such a sick matchup because Clark is unquestionably the most singular star in all of college basketball, men's or women's right now. And she's going up against the best team in all of college basketball, men's or women's in South Carolina that has the presumptive number one overall WNBA draft pick in Aaliyah Boston. They're going for back-to-back titles. They're going for the perfect season. I wrote about this a little bit today, but I was looking back at how many undefeated national champions there were in women's college basketball. Since 2000, it's like two Brianna Stewart UConn teams, two Maya Moore UConn teams, one Diana Taurasi UConn team, and then Brittany Griner's uh, Baylor team. Baylor, yep. So essentially, you need a generation, like one of the best players of their generation on your roster to go wire to wire. South Carolina, I think, has that in Aaliyah Boston. Uh, but they're going up against Caitlin Clark, who's just been so phenomenal offensively throughout her entire college career. And she just seems to be taking it to another level. She has that thing about her that, you know, only the true greats have, like speaking of like MJ, Luca, Kobe, where she's just like a psychotic competitor. And you can see it in like her little interactions with her teammates, with the officials uh, as she goes on. And yeah, I mean, she's absolutely incredible. I think her ability to have positional size and then blend scoring and playmaking with scoring efficiency is just sort of uh, unheard of at this stage of her, you know, her age, her game. And, you know, I'm talking to you guys right now from Iowa. My girlfriend got a job out here, so she moved me to Iowa. Whoa, I'm only, I'm only staying whoa. here for one year. Okay. I'm only staying here for one year. But one of the things I wanted to do, I'm living in Des Moines. I'm like, we got to go to Iowa City to watch Caitlin Clark. Yeah. I don't care about anything else. We're going to Caitlin Clark. Yeah. And the game we're going to is the regular season finale against Indiana. So we got down there. We're ready to do it. But we didn't buy tickets because the tickets uh, were sold out. And I was like, yeah, let's buy them on StubHub. I'm checking the prices. I'm like, these are pretty expensive. Like, am I going to spend $300 on two tickets to watch her play? Because uh, that's what they were going for. And eventually, I cheaped out because my girlfriend was like, eh, she's she wasn't quite as invested as I was. It was going to be pretty <laughs> expensive. Yeah. And I didn't pull the trigger. And she hits the game-winning shot. It was like the best clip of her entire college career coming off the screen. Hits the three. I will never forgive myself. So let's just get that out of the way. Uh, but yeah, Chris, I too need to go see Caitlin Clark play because I blew my big chance this year. Also, I talked to her. I did a feature on her last yeah. year uh, re- at the end of her sophomore year. Yes. And she, I think she's everything you read about her. Like I talked to her high school coach, uh, mm-hmm. at Dowling Catholic, which is the big high school in Des Moines where she's from. And just talk to some people around her, and they all just say, like, she sort of has that drive that the all-time greats have. Like, I don't even know how else to frame it or describe it. And then when you combine that with the size, the skill, she's the real deal. And it's been dope to see sort of sports fans at large embrace how great she is uh, at a level where, like, 
I feel like, you know, even a few years ago, a woman's player would have had a hard time gaining that level of national acceptance. But it mm-hmm. seems like Caitlin Clark's got it right now. And that's awesome. Can't wait to watch her against South Carolina. I think South Carolina is going to win that game easily. But maybe Caitlin Clark pops off for 50 and it's a different story. So we'll see. Yeah, I was like plus 650 um, to to win the whole thing. Yeah, the and line like, is 11 it, and a half. It's a bummer. I hope I mean, it's not that much of a blowout. Yeah, that that that'll that'll really suck if it's just like they get they get wiped. I was listening to Sabrina Merchant um, on Slate Sports Podcast this morning, and she was talking about how like that team is like a lot, that Iowa team is full of like older players who really just like they're like we have to do this, and like there's just like a mentality. And Caitlin Clark is in like the tip of that spear of of that mentality. Just think about her future a little bit before we move on to the to the redraft. I I know there will probably be a transition for her because like the it the the last couple of guard prospects that we've seen go from from college to maybe have had a transition. Kelsey Plum obviously did like was incredible. Washington it took her a couple of years to really get settled. It took Sabrina Nescu like a little bit to get to really get settled, and and some of that was COVID as well and the pandemic and that whole weirdness, but. I kind of just like think she like even if it takes like a year for her to like fully adjust and all of that stuff. Like that is someone that like whoever gets her is just going to be set up for like 10 years if they can make it work with her. It just feels like she is like that kind of prospect. And like I you know like I know I I know Ricky I've, I was looking up teams where she could be fun maybe like some Midwest stuff. I did see this guy like don't have their first round pick so like unfortunately she can't go to Chicago which would be like an obvious one. But like wherever she goes, it's just it feels like the tour is just going to continue, and it feels like that franchise is just getting something that is just poised to continue to go and go and go and go. Like Sue Bird going up and giving her like that kind of very public cosign was a really really cool moment in the way that that happened. And that I just feel like we're going somewhere really really high with Caitlin Clark. I got a question I mean, for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Sorry to interrupt. So I'll start with Brandon. Shoot. Do you think it. it's difficult? for a team led by such a high-usage superstar to win at the highest levels of the game. Her style of play very much reminds me of, and I hate to compare it to men's players, but this is just what's coming to mind, like James Harden's Houston Rockets, uh, Luka's Mavericks, because she is like the singular heliocentric star. And everyone else on the floor, their job is to compliment her. Uh, Obviously, it's different in the professional game than in the college game just in terms of, like, the team-building tactics and stuff. But do you think that, like, is she almost too much of a supernova where it's going to sort of be difficult for her to have true team success? Well, I mean, she's in the Final Four, so she's had hella success already. But, like, you know, I'm just thinking, like, to get true team success, do you need to not be as quite as high usage as she is? I I was thinking about comps uh, after that game, too, and... In college, but especially just in in the W or in the men's NBA, what is she going to be like? Because I, I think on the broadcast, they kept calling her a combination of Tarasi and Bird. And I think that's just like, here's some people you've whose names you recognize, you know. Um, I don't really see her as much of Diana Tarasi at all, personally. Um, I guess maybe more recent Diana Tarasi, who wants to mostly just take pull-up threes, I guess you could say. But um, I was thinking of Tyrese Halliburton on the men's side. And very different in terms of the way that possessions end for those two players. And so I guess it's not a perfect comp, but I guess it speaks to how I think her game will evolve. And it's not to take anything away from the supporting cast at Iowa, because it is 
you know, Monica Zanano is very good. They have shooters around her um, and, and everything else. But I don't think it's quite the level of talent that, that she could get when she gets to the W. And I just feel like if she has more of an athletic roller, if she has, you know, more dynamic, uh, you know, shooters who have real size and can attack closeouts, things like that, she's going to be more, I guess, um, I don't want to make it sound like she doesn't share the ball because she also assists a ton too, but I think she'll get off of it more. And I think that she'll be able to fit into more of a system that isn't just solely built around her because it's kind of built year over year, right? Like as she's gone on in her career, she's built more and more usage up. I think especially early in her career, I could see her being somebody that, you know, comes off of screens, pushes the ball in transition, um, you know, maybe run some pick and roll, but is deferring to other players and is able to fit next to other stars and other scorers. I don't, I'm not worried about it personally, but what do you think, Chris? I think that she, the way she plays at least right now is it's like more energetic than like a Harden or a Luca. Like she's more willing to like, I, I think there is like the, the danger of the heliocentrism stuff. And if you lean too far into that, that puts you in a bad place. I'm very with you, Ricky. Like I think that that style of play is really hard to win with. Um, I think like you're seeing that with Dallas to some degree right now. I think you obviously saw it with Houston as close as they got to, to making a, a really long run with that team. But I think like the way she's willing to just like play with the ball in her hands a ton, but give it up for passes to to kind of like be a little bit of a chaos agent and not just like load up. I think is it would give me some optimism. Like I think the comp is like a, it's like a Curry Halliburton hybrid. It's like can run around, bomb threes from everywhere. But like it's willing to give up the ball to do other stuff. And that that to me would be I, I would ha- like I would see like how she like ages into like what she's going to be. And if that she has different tendencies or if the first coach she gets in the W is like, we're just going to run like a ton of pick and roll with you and like let you ISO and like let you dominate things and, and play that way. But if she doesn't get pushed in that direction and, and she kind of plays how I think she organically plays right now, I wouldn't necessarily have those concerns. Yeah, and I think Brendan made a great point just noting how deadly she is coming off screens. Like, mm-hmm. she hit a couple threes off ATOs, I think, in that Elite Eight win. Uh, obviously, her game winner against Indiana in that regular season finale was, you know, off an ATO, catch and shoot. So she does seem much more willing to play off the ball than, like, Luca or Harden, who basically just, like, stand around, even though she has a similar ability to blend scoring and playmaking on the ball. Uh, but off the ball, that sort of seems where she separates herself uh, from some of the other heliocentric talents we've seen come through the pipeline uh, over the last 10, 15 years. So, yeah, she's going to have yeah. a fascinating career. She's obviously an awesome player. I think of her like, you know, with what the Mystics have, a bunch of dribble handoffs, a lot of wing athleticism, uh, you know, bigs who can do a little bit of everything, but largely uh, play in the pick and roll. Like her in a system like that, even if, you know, like with or without Elena Deldon, maybe she fills that whole, I don't know. I mean, we're just imagining, but I'm saying a team like that, I could really see her her blossoming in because they share the ball already. They have some some pieces to 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 hide what maybe she's gonna be limited at in terms of, you know, being picked on defensively and whatever. She has a different uh, assortment of bigs than what she has at Iowa. And I think the other part that we haven't said is she's just bigger than everybody that you would compare her to, right? Like Bird is 5'9", Kelsey Plum is 5'8", uh, is 6 feet tall, so maybe that's part of what that comp is. But I think that size will really help her as well, just 
being able to to round out what she's able to do, especially offensively, getting to the basket more consistently than some players. Um, you know, seeing over the tops of defenses, everything else. So, I mean, I'm I'm really excited. I don't want to keep too much expectation on her, but I mean, we're talking about a generational talent for sure. It's worth. Also, like you guys her. notice she's got some haters. That's the true yeah. sign that she's made it. When people can just be like objectively. I don't know how her game is going to translate to the next level. Like I have seen that from other college basketball fans. Don't get it. it. Who maybe think that, you know, they talk about her too much during a game between, let's say, Michigan and Ohio State. It's like, why are we talking about Caitlin Clark during this game? We got great players in front of us. Talk about the game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just in all these ways, she's sort of breaking new ground, I think. Yes, I think that's dead. And all right, let's go to our 2022 redraft. So this was a weird draft. 2020. Uh, 2020. 2020. Excuse me, not 2022. We'll do that in three years. Um, <laughs> so, Ricky, before I, I randomize our list, is someone who covers the draft and, and someone who thinks about this, someone who I will like, hey, like I need to DM someone about the draft. I'm going to DM Ricky O'Donnell. What When you thought about this draft in real time, what did you think of it? Yeah, I covered this draft. I wrote a lot about this draft at SB Nation. Uh, I thought it was a good draft, not a great draft. I was pretty familiar with this class, um, covering them, you know, through high school and into this into this draft. I did a feature on Anthony Edwards, where I talked to Anthony Edwards uh, when he was a high school senior, and I remember <laughs> being on the phone with him and thinking, "This guy's hilarious." And like then it sort of became like just a big part of his persona, and now he's in Adam Sandler movies and stuff. So it's been really fun to watch his evolution. Uh, I did think LaMelo was the best player in the class coming mm-hmm. into it. Um, and that looked like it would probably be a good opinion for his first couple of years. Now, not so sure. We'll see. And the one thing I definitely got wrong was I was not a Halliburton fan. I thought Halliburton, mm. you know, can he get enough to the basket enough to be a lead guard? Uh, defensively is like, are people going to be able to go through him? He has such a thin, wiry frame. I could not have been more wrong about that. Halliburton is tremendous and would certainly be a worthy number one overall pick in this redraft. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was a, a decent class, not a great class, but a lot of fun players in it. All right, Chris, so let's let's do. Yeah, hit me. No, I have I have a, I have some general twenty twenty draft thoughts for. Did you know that Ricky edited a feature of mine on this draft? We didn't even uh, we didn't even talk about this beforehand. I did a feature on Obi it? Toppin that Ricky edited for for SB Nation. Uh, this takes me the Ob the Ob Toppin stuff really takes me back because there was like four months where like Cleveland people were like saying like he's a local product and like my guys he played at Dayton which is another side of the state let's chill but the, I I'm gonna have to go back and read this feature yeah I got to talk to him a little bit it was it was like a weird and then you know the the real thing that I was gonna say about this class that I think everybody thinks of is it was the longest draft class draft yeah. period ever because. This was yeah. the COVID draft. It happened in October. And it's kind of funny to look back on that because I found the Zach Cram piece at The Ringer that uh, basically broke down how bad it has been. I think it published in November of this year, and I don't really know how differently we all feel. I think some of the top guys have, have proven themselves even more like Halliburton, but he said... Uh, the order of this draft class doesn't really matter. The correlation between pick number and wins over above replacement for players in the first round had no discernible relationship. And then he highlighted specifically that the bigs were particularly, uh, you know, struggling. So it's it's insane to think that these people had extra time. And it 
seem to be even more of a crapshoot than normal in terms of where players got picked and, and where they've ended up producing. And I think that's going to bear out because I think at least looking at my list, a lot of the guys I have uh, were not lottery picks originally. Yeah, there, there's a lot of hits in this class that are not lottery picks. There's a lot of picks in this class that are come from different places. He, just for refresher, here was the top five in this draft. Anthony Edwards goes one to Minnesota. James Wiseman goes two to Golden State. Lamelo Ball goes three to Charlotte. Patrick Williams goes four to the Bulls. Isaac Okoro goes five to Cleveland. All right, I've randomized the list. Here's here's the order. Brendan, you have the first pick. Ricky, you have the second pick. I have the third pick. Now, do, we are going to go through the lottery. We'll go to 15 just because keep it even for our, our stuff here. Um, do we want to do a snake draft, guys, or a non-snake draft? All right, what, do, what do we think? I think with Brendan. three and non-snake is is probably All right. better. All right. I'm I good might just non-snake. be saying that because I want one and four rather than one and six, but... That's fine. You we'll do. We'll do not. We will. We will do non snake. Brendan, you're on the right. clock. Who are you going with? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna not even use a second. Anthony Edwards is yeah, my pick. Um, he was the number one overall pick, as Ricky said. It was a, a bit of a surprise at the time. Um, I thought Ricky's piece on him was very good at the time. I thought Jonathan Chark's piece on him the night of that draft was very very good, and you get a lot of good stuff about. Uh, them basically just trying to like prove themselves to everybody for why they took this wacky. I mean, it wasn't crazy. He was one of the top three picks, but he wasn't necessarily everybody's number one. And yet he has proven himself to be, uh, I think to me far and away, uh, already the most productive player. That's kind of inarguable. But then, uh, I think also the still maybe the highest ceiling player of anybody out here. I mean, just a two way star, somebody who I think is one of the future faces of the league and somebody who really is going to be able to be the number one on a championship team with what he's able to do when he really locks in defensively, which we've seen at times, his athleticism, his burst, his first step, the dunks we've already seen, if he can hone how that, how he gets to his three and he's able to make, you know, the pull up even more reliable, fit in with other star scorers, which he hasn't really been able to do because of injuries and everything else over the course of his career, uh, where he's, we're going to be talking about Ant for a long time. Anyone else have thoughts on Anthony Edwards? So, Come on, guys. Here, yeah. So here, here is my, here is my, oh, the only, there's only one other guy to me that came close to this, and it really wasn't a debate for me if I was going to get the number one pick. Ant is thus, to me, like the prana prototypical star of this class. Like he had a really kind of slow start to this year, but he's, you know, he's averaging like really good numbers again. He's scored every single year of his career. He's gotten a little bit better every year of his career. And it's like very telling that like on a like on a team that already had a very high draft pick in Carl Anthony Towns, that like that just feels like his team and that we've already decided that like every decision they make feels like it has to be about and, and like I, I don't there's nothing about his profile in terms of his size, his three level ability, like that I feel really weird about. Like I, I don't have any doubts about it. We'll see like how good on defense he can get. We'll see kind of how good the playmaking gets. But as like a really high engine scorer who can kind of do everything on the floor, I, I don't really have any doubts about him as a guy. Like to me, he had to be number one. He's just an athletic freak. I mean, his speed, power, speed to power blend, ability to go fast, go slow. Like, yeah, when I was, I remember doing the reporting on him and I talked to his like trainer his trainer when he was in high school and he was telling me like, Oh, this guy would have been the first pick in the NFL draft at like three different positions. If you put him out there. And that's just like, 
you know, he he has athletic gifts that are elite amongst people who are elite. So mm-hmm. I think that's the big thing with him. I think he's a really good shooter and has three-point percentage is only going to continue to go up. His volume has obviously increased quite a bit over his first three years. The question to me is the playmaking, mm-hmm. just because it seems like truly the best players are able to blend scoring and playmaking and use the threat of their scoring to set up their teammates, use the threat of their playmaking to score themselves. That's why Kaylin Clark's so damn good, because she you know, can blend scoring and playmaking so well. So I want to see that from Edwards, but Edwards is awesome. He's exceeded the hype as a number one overall pick, I would say. And yeah, the, the future is so bright for him. I'm curious to see what the Wolves decide to do with him and how they decide to build with him, like and, and what kind of pivots they make. Like the Gobert thing, like I like that we don't need to relitigate all that, but like that never felt like the perfect fit for me as far as, as the like the right big with him. Um, they need to figure like out that, the other ball handler, I think. I mean, that's that's the thing yeah, to me is like yeah. they they've telegraphed that they didn't want that to be Russell. They finally get off of him. It's it's just not going to be Conley by way of age. So what what do they see as as the best number two? I mean, I do feel like it's somebody somewhat similar to Conley. There's not a lot of players like him. There's not a lot of players this in this day and age that that play like that anymore at at the point guard spot. So I'm curious to see who his sort of co number one is from a ball handling standpoint going forward, because I think that'll affect how he develops and it'll affect, you know, uh, how that team obviously fares long-term. So let's say any like top five player in the league out of this, but who's the ideal Anthony Edwards co-star. And, you know, you could say like, you, I'm going to say you can't say Jason Tatum, but you can say Jalen Brown, something like that, where like, we're not going to say the top five players in the league or top five mm-hmm. MVP candidates, but who do you guys think would be the ideal Ant-Man co-star? If we went if we went as a guard, I think Darius Garland would make a ton of sense. Just a guy that is like willing to kind of play off the ball. I think like Halliburton would would make sense as well. Just guys that are really crafty off the ball. Big, I find a little bit more challenging to figure out. I I think like Jaron Jackson Jr. to me would probably make a lot of sense if you're going to go big guy who can stretch, guy who can do a little bit with the ball in his hands, guy and a guy that can really absorb some of the defensive stuff. So to me, I would probably go that direction. It's like J Triple J. Or, or like a Garland Halliburton kind of guard. I think Triple J has to be off limits with these conversations because you could say him, just like uh, Tatum. You you could say like a lot of those guys for everything. I think you're totally right, sure. Chris. Gar- Garland came to mind for me. Um, I actually also thought of Drew Holiday, just somebody that yeah at, brings enough of the ball handling. Marcus Smart, a player, sort of like a a three and D ball handling point guard number one versatile defender not that I think Ant needs to be protected but I also just think the amount that he can do offensively you don't want him to have to also be your best defender so I think it'd be nice to have that I I think offensively Towns is a pretty nice fit with with Ant um you know defensively there's obviously always going to be questions with Towns but um those would be my answers I mean I, I think it's pretty simple as long as you're putting spacing around him and, you know, some level of defense, I think he's going to be pretty solid. Curious to see, like, the, the how they handle the town stuff. All right, let's go to our next pick. Ricky, you're up. Who, who are you picking? Yeah, I want to go LaMelo here because I'm fiercely loyal to LaMelo. I think we haven't seen the best of his game, but I think you got to give it to Halliburton over LaMelo. He's just been more productive, more consistent. Uh, I think he's answered every question I had about him coming into the league. 
and he's just exceeded every reasonable expectation for himself. I did wonder when he was coming into the league, like, was he shifty enough and powerful enough as a driver to be a lead ball handler, to put pressure on the rim consistently? And he's just figured it out. Like, every part of his game uh, is, is just, like, pretty complete as a point guard. You can play him on or off the ball. He still brings a lot of, like, connective passing uh, when he's not running high pick and roll all the time. Obviously, the shot has translated wonderfully. So I'm going to go Halliburton. I think that's the right pick here. I, I don't think there is like this is like my number two pretty clearly. Um, I just think like the way that I think he makes everyone around him better. I think the size, I think the playmaking feel, I think the leaps we've seen him take year to year have just been really, really impressive. And like he he went from he went from Sacramento to Indiana and like got bigger and got better and like is is been like you know like was an all star this year. Would have been a guy that if he ended up playing it didn't miss a ton of time. Would have I think been close to like the fringes of All NBA twenty average. He's averaging twenty and twenty and ten right now. He's averaging a double double, and he's aver- and he's averaging two point five turnovers per game. Like this guy is just like super careful with the ball in his hands, super trustworthy with the ball in his hands, and he's shooting forty percent from three on seven attempts per game, which is a career high by like two attempts per game. This guy has made a leap. He's a All Star level guy. He is like he is like the for whatever Indiana is gonna have, whatever they're gonna do, whatever. They and they still probably need some lottery luck. That is like the perfect thing for them to pivot into what they're going to be. And he, to me, he had to be number two. I know that sounds crazy considering Lamelo is still on the board, but like I, I think I would much rather have Halliburton than Lamelo at this point. Yeah, Halliburton jumps from twelve. That was where he was originally taken, which that even felt low. I mean, we talked before with the big picture of like you know he was a question mark, but I think even in real time, twelve felt like. Uh, a, lower than even his pre-draft floor would have ever been expected to be, at least in, in my recollection. Maybe that's uh, as a fan of the team who picked 10th and, and did not take him. But um, what do you guys who did, who did uh, the, think? Who did the Suns take? It's James been redacted. Smith? I'm not able to share. Yeah, I, oh, okay. I, I well. knew. I knew who. I just wanted to get it. I wanted just to, to make Brennan say it. It's been redacted. It's been lost to history. The The books are gone. It's like uh, that that Italian city that burned down. There's just no records of anything. Um, what I was going to ask is, do we think, uh, so Halliburton takes like 21 shots per 100 possessions, field goal attempts. Um, he doesn't get to the line a ton. So really the, the field goal attempts are a good in a nutshell of what he does, uh, trying to score. Um, do we think he has to do more of that on the best version of a team that's centered around him? Like, does he need to, and we haven't seen him really in the playoffs. So I, there's a version where he just, he does that and, and it's just a regular season versus postseason thing. Do you think he needs to get into that attack mode? He he pulls it out at times, but I watch him sometimes and feel like, especially on that team, his ability to just drive, get into the teeth of the defense, try to finish, try to kick out, rather than sort of the dancing he does on the perimeter, wanting to just do the drop pass to the big man in the pick and roll. I, I like when he really hits the gas, and I wonder if he needs to do it more consistently as he ages. Yeah, I don't know if he really has the physical tools to be a consistent downhill driver, which is the reason I faded him when he was in the class. Again, I'm a huge idiot. He Obviously, my team should have taken him at four if your team should have taken him at 10. Uh, but yeah, it's like he's just not like there's like if you look at his recruiting history, he wasn't even ranked in the top 200 of his high school class. And usually that recruiting stuff is done by like, OK, how big are you? How fast are you? How quick twitch 
is your athleticism when you're attacking the rim. So there is something to him still like having some physical limitations, despite the fact that he's clearly a super productive, super awesome NBA player putting up 20 and 10. So I don't know if he can like give you that level of downhill driving that someone like Anthony Edwards could. To me, like the low hanging fruit in his game might just be up in the three point volume. You know, Mm -hmm. what if he takes 10 threes a game instead of Mm -hmm. what's he taking seven? I would mm-hmm. guess without looking at the numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that could be something, but I don't know. Do you think he needs to be higher usage, Chris? I think it depends on like what else they get, because like I could see a world where like he leans into more of that like heliocentric direction. But if like Benedict Math- Matherin like takes a step forward, if like they go get like a, another like really interesting young player to kind of pair with him, then like maybe no. But I think the answer like also like if he's going to hit like his ceiling, if he's going to hit, like whatever version of himself that he's going to hit, that's going to be like all NBA level. Like may- maybe the answer is yes, that maybe there has to be some more selfishness in, in what he's doing. Right. I, th- I think it's possible. I just think it also depends on what, in- what Indiana decides they want to do and-, and how they decide they want to build with him. I think there's something to be said for the fact that he has made Turner into much more of a downhill threat by way of playing of those two, just playing more together, Sabonis being gone, et cetera. And so he can manufacture more balance to an offense by way of his passing, I think, even if it's not coming from him. And so I do think their roster now isn't doing him a ton of favors with that because Turner wasn't even really thought of as that type of role man at, at an elite level until this year. But even aside from him taking that step forward, it's still missing a little bit from their offense and their roster doesn't have anybody that would obviously do that for you. Buddy Hill, Nemhard, McConnell, a lot of these guys that get a lot of minutes aren't really conducive to playing more of an attacking style. So I, you know, it's it's really year one of of Halliburton the superstar. And I'm excited to see what comes next, but obviously he doesn't have to do anything. He's already very, very good. It just sort of is a question as far as far as what is his ceiling as a player and and how far can his teams go if he's one of the top you know one two three guys on them so it's just it's gonna be fun he's a super crazy player all right i'm up lamella ball number three has to be lamella ball here like utterly scintillating player one of the most creative and fun players we have the advanced numbers like have him as like the second best guy in this class uh with value for replacement halberton being won by like a pretty significant margin you know, obviously some injury stuff this year and the team he plays for absolutely stinks. So like that, I think colors it a little bit for me. And like, I, I wonder like what the path forward in Charlotte is and VCV, like how that's going to reflect on him and, and what that kind of means, whether that's fair or not. But at, at three, like he is clearly like an offensive dynamo who can do pretty much anything you want him to do at that end of the floor. And he's like, he's going to be like one of the best offensive players in the league as long when he's healthy and when he's available and, and the things he can create for others is stupendous like it, it has to be Lamelo at three I don't exactly know like where he's going is kind of an interesting question but it's that's more about the Hornets to me than it is it is really about him what do you guys think about Lamelo? I never would have thought that he'd be taking almost 11 threes a game I think he's first or second in three-point attempts per game and still hitting like 38 percent of them mm-hmm. uh, his shooting was just such a big point of criticism uh during the pre-draft process when he was in australia his scoring efficiency was like way below average by the way so was anthony edwards if i recall correctly when he was coming out of georgia and it was just the you know people would always wonder how is this shot going to translate for Lamelo? and he's become a really really good shooter he also has that 
rare like curry like ability to just sort of like break the rhythm of the game like he'll just jack at three when you're not expecting it obviously if you're taking 11 a game a lot of them are going to be on pull-ups and not spot ups and just the way that loosens up the opposing defense especially when you're six foot eight you got the ball on a string like him he's he might be the best tall ball handler in the league yeah. best ball handler in the league over six eight there might be some other guys in contention for that title but he's certainly worthy of being in the mix uh, Lamelo's awesome. We have not seen the best of him at all, in my opinion, and I just hope his body holds up better than his brother's. <laughs> you, yeah, Ricky, I promised you when we invited you on and had you come on that uh, no bulls jokes, and you you made it first. So now I feel like we're 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 here. Sorry, yeah, actually, about that. that's the second one because we already got a should have taken him at four uh, joke in there too, yeah. which we haven't even gotten to the guy that the bulls actually took. I'm not not sure when we will. We'll see, but. The interesting thing to me about LaMelo is he has the the mid-range a little bit because of his floater and I think because of his ability to navigate in traffic and, and whatnot a little bit better than some of the other similar types of players. And I'm interested to see how that part of his game kind of evolves and expands because his assists went up. We mentioned the three-pointers per game went up, so his scoring overall has gone up as well. And um that's all trending in the right direction, but you know, what does he do to really round that out? I think will be fascinating. I think, you know, talk about team construction around him hasn't done him a ton of favors. I think Mark Williams is a, is a pretty fun pick and roll pairing for him next season when they're both, I would imagine playing a ton of minutes together. We'll see. Um, it's, it's really tough. He's probably the hardest to separate from team context and his own injuries because we just haven't seen as much of him, and we definitely haven't seen a lot of him in a great context compared to some of these other players. Oh, number right. four is me. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I was gonna let me. I'll let's properly transition, Brendan. You're up, number four. Who are you taking? Oh, so I think we have our first wild card, and I think we have our first player who is not part of why we wanted we wanted to do this draft is that all of these guys are eligible for extensions this upcoming off season. And I think we're finally to the might not get a max portion of the of the conversation, or at least, you know, on the cusp. And I'm not sure if anyone else will out of this draft. And my pick is Devin Vassell. Love this. Love this yeah. pick. Yeah. So uh, not a player, uh, another player who has had a, an injury riddled season this year, but shooting 39% on seven threes a game, 19 points per game overall. He's almost doubled his assists and uh, really just increased everything in terms of workload without sacrificing a ton of efficiency. Turnovers haven't really gone up too, too bad, although they've, you know, they've kind of doubled as well. He is a, a player who I didn't, I didn't think would make good on some of the, the scoring ability, the pull-up shooting ability this early in his career. Um, considering he didn't play a ton as a rookie and then this year with the injuries, but he is already a guy who can go get you 20, can score at multiple levels, just somebody you trust with the ball in your hand. And, uh, you know, I, the defense on a better team, I think is always going to be there. He creates turnovers at a high level, all the things that he did coming out of Florida state. I don't think there's any reason to, to believe won't be there. He's, He's six five with a uh, you know crazy wingspan for his size. Um, I just think we have a, a real like two way playmaker and centerpiece type of player on a young team that's growing. I'm excited to see what Vassell is, and I I I feel great. I think he's he's this, this is where I want him. This is where I'm taking him. 
Love it. I think, you know, there were probably bigger names left on the board, but Vassell is like someone who is just going to be beloved by diehards because Mm -hmm. his game is like more, it just like exceeds, his impact exceeds the numbers in so many ways. And now his numbers are pretty awesome. Uh, You know, being a high volume three-point shooter who also provides terrific perimeter defense and who not only can like play a wing stopper role, but is also just so good in like kind of a free safety role Mm -hmm. of roaming and helping off. And like you said, forcing turnovers, getting, turning defense into offense. Uh, Yeah. I would love to see him with more structure around him. And man, if, if the Spurs get Wemby, that's just sort of like the perfect guy you want around Wemby as uh, you know, a young perimeter player to build with him, a guy who I don't know if, Vassell like is your true number one, but I think that he is an elite co-star and he kind of has like all of the, uh, he just has the skill set and all of the abilities to just like uh, scale up or scale down and to thrive in sort of any role you put him in. Really nice size at 6'5", 200. Like, maybe a little small to defend up, but they also have Kelton Johnson in there. Like, that is the team with these guys that are maybe not the the biggest superstars on their own. The Spurs have, like, a lot of role guys in Sohan and Kelton Johnson and Devin Vassell that I'm like, they get Wemby. Like, things are things are humming. Things are going to be uh, humming a little bit if they get all those guys in there. So I, I love that pick. Ricky, you're up at five. Who are you taking? I'll take Desmond Bain. Yeah. Uh obviously last pick in the first round in this draft and as a four-year guy coming out of tcu he's really just been able to hit the ground running uh all-star already correct I believe it was mm-hmm. an all-star um so yeah i think that bane you know he gives you shooting versatile shooting at a high level like you could run him off screens he can shoot threes off the dribble Uh, He is accurate off super high volume. So with him, like, to me, he's probably one of the better shooters in the league. Is anyone going to push back on that? Like, there are some shooting specialists, but for him to be more than a specialist and still an elite three-point shooter, uh, I think that is great. I think that how the Grizzlies have sort of developed him to create a little bit more on ball with all the time Morant has missed over the last couple of years has made him even more valuable. Like he's someone who you can just give him the ball in a pinch and he can give you a bucket at this point. And by the way, he's pretty awesome on defense too. So uh, again, not probably not a lead guy, but an awesome number two around a more heliocentric superstar and someone who could just fit into so many different types of team structures. Bain is 30 of 60 on corner threes this year. I just found that. He's f- shooting 50% on corner threes. Um, yeah, he's a he's a filthy shooter. He has been that since he set foot on an NBA court. Um, my question on this guy is, well, eh, combining our last two, who gets more money between Vassell and Bain this summer? Bain. Bain, for sure. I'm, I'm just because they've won the at a higher this, level. Sure. Well, the Spurs, I just think of as kind of who else are they giving their money to? They're in a rebuild type of thing. Um, They've tended to pay their guys, although I don't feel like they've overpaid anybody. DeJounte, Keldon, well, maybe Keldon, but they don't tend to go crazy with it. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, Keldon, they don't don't overdo it. That's that's fine. Yeah, you're probably right. I think Bain has that reputation, and his agent can probably do a little more saying, hey, he's a starting player on a championship contending team, whereas Vassell 
with the injuries and the team not being great, it's sort of an open question, you know, what does that really mean type of thing with his production? But I think it'll be close. Do we think yeah, Bain gets think- a max? I don't think he should, but does he have the Grizzlies like over does he have like the leverage on the Grizzlies? Like I, I don't know. It's like the first extension is kind of tricky. I don't know if he is like a max guy. But like, should he get more than Jordan? Should his agent be like, I should get more than Jordan Poole? The answer is yes. That his agent should be like, I should absolutely get more money than Jordan Poole did. Like that, that's the baseline here. It's like he should get more than both Hero and 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 Poole, in my opinion. More than Barrett. I was gonna say we'd all take him over Hero, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's getting a max, I think. And if not, it's um, great. It's a weird ability by the Grizzlies to give him a hometown discount. But otherwise, I would expect him to get a max. And also a rookie max, not that much money. The real it's the fun max. hefty price tag is, you know, the third contract. And if you get a max on the fourth contract, that's when it's a real big number. But rookie max, he'll live up to that. Yeah. The one I would the one thing I would say about maybe why he wouldn't is Jaron Jackson Jr. only got four years, 105. Yeah. And so, you know, you tend to see kind of the the baseline get, that gets set within the team. It's like Jaw got a max, Jaron got four for 105. Maybe you split the difference with Bain, but uh, his agent definitely has a, a good leg to stand on to to push for one. And if they don't get it done this summer, I guess, you know, you could go into restricted free agency and try to get one next summer. Yeah. All right, let's go to number six. Um couple names you could go with here i think that are in contention but i'm gonna go based on just production and it's maybe a little bit in the moment of this year but i'm gonna go emmanuel quickly emmanuel quick yeah look i i think this is where the draft gets a little eye of the beholder but i think the two-way stuff with quickly i think the the poise we've seen from quickly i think the size he has over some of his other counterparts i think the shot making like, I, I just think he's taken, like, a leap this year. And I'm just very in on this guy being, like, a rotation player. I don't know what he's going to get paid. I don't know. Like, you know, maybe the playoffs changes the opinion of him a little bit. And, he, again, he's, like, he's averaging 14 a game. It's not like he's, like, like a 20-point-a-game guy or anything like that. But I just have really the come to like his 2 when he shuts game. down Donovan Mitchell? Is that what you're talking about, the playoffs, if, Chris? Brendan, if that, hap- if that happens, uh, I will buy you whatever beer you want because I think Mitchell's probably just going to, like, torch the Knicks in that series. Ricky, just because Br- Brendan and I have already had this, uh, Knicks or Cavs in a series, how many games? On the spot, I know. I would but... take the Cavs okay. probably in six. Okay. It does feel like that series would set up for LOL Knicks for not getting Donovan Mitchell and Donovan Mitchell torches them. Even though, you know, perhaps a good move by the Knicks not to get Donovan Mitchell because their timeline wasn't exactly where Cleveland's was. But I wonder in that series, like, what can Randall really do against Mobley? Exactly. Because Randall Uh, really has to drive a lot of their half-court offense. Yeah. And, like... He, he'll try to play through Mobley, but like Mobley can step off him and still provide such great defense with his length. So Mobley's yeah. just such a damn matchup <laughs> so nightmare, good. trump card, he's, whatever you want to call him. He's he's ridiculous. But on this pick, Brandon, just so you know, you've been you're you're wrong. You picked the Knicks in seven, and you're wrong. But I I, th- I think there are other guys you Wait could go see. with here. Are there two? We will see. I, there are two other guys on this list that that I had, but I went with quickly um 
Quickly I, I, scoring. I, I 20, you said he's not a 20-point-per-game guy. He's scoring 20 a game in March. 415 minutes, 13 games played. He's yeah. averaging 20, and he's shooting 46% from the field, 37 from three. Yeah, I, I hear you over the course of the season, and and you know March basketball is not what you always want to extrapolate from. I guarantee you his agent will be, but um, he's, I think, on the upswing, and I guess that's what I'm saying is I wouldn't count out his scoring going up. It's probably not going to be 20. But I think he's a he is slotting himself into be basically a perfect, you know, fourth or fifth starter on a great team. I mean, he already is that, um, and and he's going to continue to be super valuable wherever he ends up. All right, let's go to seven, Brendan. Uh, yeah, Brendan, you're you're back up. Who are you taking? Yeah. So this is not obviously we're not forming teams. I just want to clarify that to everybody. Yeah. So it's not like we have to make them all match up. So, um. I I'm very torn. I'm going to go Jaden McDaniels. I don't want to be too prisoner of the moment with that pick, but I, I love what he's become as a player. Um, we talked about, I was not around this draft as much as Ricky was, but I, I was able to, to be at a lot of games. I was able to see McDaniels in person. I also saw Ant in person. He really sucked in the game that I saw him. Jaden McDaniels wasn't great either. And I watching him, his his sort of like very internal kind of attitude on the court really caught like caught me off guard watching him in person and i misinterpreted it as sort of you know he's not taking control he's not taking over what's going on why is he not using his obvious athletic freak abilities to to take over games more often and we've just sort of watched him feel out his way through the nba make impact through rebounding defense you know, shop blocking, all that stuff early and then start to grow his game from there. He's a, a reliable shooter, I think, as a spot up guy spacing the floor and now starting to add a little bit more on the ball. They're running plays for him. They're trying to incorporate him as a real part of their team. And he's handled every single thing that's been thrown at him. So it's a little bit of a bet on his continued uh, upswing here. But uh, I think you could convince me in another year in next March, if we did this, that he's even higher. Totally. I love that pick. That's who I was going to take with the next pick if you did not take him. I think every team really wants a four who can provide some rim protection and some floor spacing. And he does that. Block a game, steal a game, nearly 40% from three. Uh, I did a list way back in the day when he was in high school of the best long-term basketball prospects in America. And he was the only player in this high school class who was on the list because Anthony Edwards reclassified. So for Anthony Edwards was supposed to be a year younger. Uh, so I had him as like, you know, 10th on that list. And at first it looked like that was going to be a big miss for me because he was sort of underwhelming in his year at Washington. Didn't do a ton as a rookie, but there's a reason the Wolves didn't put him in the Gobert deal. I think that he just slots in so nicely next to a center like Towns, being able to give you a little bit more defensive punch and a, proven to be a very good floor spacer uh, when Edwards has the ball in his hand. So I love McDaniels. I think that was the right pick. Minnesota gets a lot of crap for including Walker Kessler in that trade. I think people ignore the fact that they made a very big point of not including McDaniels, not to say that the Gobert trade is good now or something, but like that was smart and they made a very concerted effort to do it. They gave up Vanderbilt, even though you would have liked to also keep him, but they said, you know, it's not, we're not, that's the one thing in this entire building that we're tying down 
that you cannot have. And it proved to be pretty smart. So I don't know. Give give those guys a one percent more credit than you are. There you go. That's Tim Conley's like pitch for like why you don't fire him in two years if they Yeah, he hired me like, the other I day. Did I, I not tell you guys? I'm I'm his yeah, pitch man right. now. I'm doing PR. Good that's good. Better than doing it for, for Rojas. All right, uh Ricky, you're up. Who's your next pick? Hmm. I was looking at McDaniels and I didn't have another pick prepared, but I believe Tyrese Maxey's still on the board. He is. This correct? is yeah, Tyrese Maxey's still on the board, and this is this is the way to go, I think. So Tyrese Maxey is the pick. Cannot believe he lasted to 21 uh, in this draft. It was an obvious mistake. I was doing draft grades the night of that draft, and I said this is very obviously the best value pick in the draft. Uh, And, of course, I was wrong because it was probably Bain who went 30th and provided just as much value and went higher in a redraft. But Tyrese Maxey's been really good. Um, The speed with the ball in his hands is just unbelievable. He's one of the Mm -hmm. fastest players in the league. Uh, his ability to just like dust a defender off a stand, like with this just standstill burst, he does not need to get momentum going. He can just hit the gas right away, get to the rim. That's super impressive. Uh, the shooting, who saw the, sh- like, I thought he'd be a good shooter. I thought he'd shoot better than he did at Kentucky. He's hit 42% of his threes each of the last two years at a high volume of attempts. Yep. He's a, he's like a phenomenal shooter. I thought he'd be good. I didn't know if he'd be 42% on six a game good. In watching him at Kentucky so much, you could almost see it because he was long on everything, and he sort of shoots like a flat ball to the point where, like, just shooting the shot a little further back from the NBA line, like, I think helps him because at Kentucky, like, everything was just a line drive off the back of the rim. Uh, Defensively, big questions still. He is long, though. He's pretty strong for his... For size, he's got like wiry strength. Not really a point guard. Like, what's his best role? Open question. It, well, think, it's what know, it's what makes Philly so interesting with him because like he can play off a of Harden, who's just in this creator mold, and he hasn't beat, and it just, he can just like pick his spots. Like they play, like in games, he'll just have like six nine in a row, and it's like, oh, I did what I'm supposed to do. But like he doesn't have to be overburdened to do like a bunch of other stuff. It's a really nice fit for him. I feel like Absolutely. they kind of. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, we don't have to go on a whole Sixers tangent, but is there a little bit of, like, him or Tobias Harris? I know that I guess his contract wouldn't kick in until uh, after Harris's is over, but, you know, they probably would want to keep that asset rolling over, too, and they have Harden to, to worry about. But I think that that's curious because they, they, they obviously can't continue to pay everybody a lot of money, including Maxi, adding into that at a, you know, 20-something-plus million-dollar contract. So... Uh, that's a little interesting. I, th- I The defense to me, it's like I've always been, it's just that he's small. I mean, he was a good defender in high school, I feel like, from what I remember watching of him back then when everyone was his size, you know? And, like, I don't I don't think he doesn't play hard or anything like that. It's just he's 6'1", and, you know, not exactly, like, super stout or anything like that either. So um, I, I, I think he is somebody you're definitely going to be able to trust. Maybe it's a six-man role or something like that, but... He's 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 already proven himself to be super steady. Um, Chris, you're up. I'm going to go on Yoko Kongu. I really like his game. I really like what he can be as a defender. I know we haven't seen like him get to start in Atlanta because they have Clint Capella. But like, I just like the frame. I like the smarts. I like just kind of the profile. He's still 22. Like he's still pretty young. 
I just like believe that this is a guy that's going to be able to like play in the playoffs for a team. And like whether that's Atlanta, whether he ends up somewhere else, I don't know how you do an extension with him based on just like how little he's like getting given a chance to really own that position for them. Um, notably, this is the healthiest he's been this year too. He played 73 games so far this year. He played 50 as a rookie, 48 last year. That feels like a big deal to me. I'm just a really big fan of how he plays and what he is as a center. I know a little undersized. I know all of that, but really smart, really skilled. I believe this is a guy that's going to be able to like hang as like a five in, in playoff series going forward. I'm I'm just a big fan. And to, after like we're at the point of the draft where I'm like you like there's other guys that are good. There's other guys we'll talk about, but I I just believe in him as like a playoff guy. I think he probably gets the Brandon Clark contract or something like that. If they get it done this summer, four for 60, somewhere around there, I could see that. Um, Ricky, what you got on Okongwu? Yeah, Okongwu's great because he's just able to play so many different schemes defensively. Like some guys are just like drop big. Some guys, uh, you know, are quick enough to defend the perimeter, but don't have the ability to like absorb contact at the rim. And I feel like you he just gives you so much versatility with what you're going to play defensively. Offensively, I, I do think, you know, you wish he was a little bit bigger. That would probably yeah. make his lob catching, his rebounding a little bit more effective. But I'd love to see a Congo in a bigger role. I think, like, it's time. Like We've sort of seen what he can be. Brandon Clark is a really interesting comp for him. Uh, and he's another, Clark's another guy who's just, like, he's just a little bit smaller than what you want for, you know, the ideal guy in that spot. But I'd love to see a Kongu in a bigger role. I think he's got a lot more potential than he's shown thus far. All right. I'm up Brent. at number 10, and I'm going with Alexei Pokashevsky. Poku. <laughs> Give it to me. Uh, I was genuinely uh, impressed by what I saw from him this season. Um, I, he's He's been hurt for a while. He played 31 games this year, but he upped his three-point percentage to 38, 44% from the field. Um, the you know Everything else was basically the same. He upped his blocks quite a bit. So I just felt like we were starting to see him realize the potential of what he was coming out of the depths of European basketball uh, when he was drafted out of Serbia. Just a guy who... You can really count on as more of a connector and pick and pop player. I think he is somebody that, as everybody sort of jokes about how Oklahoma City is a little bit aimless with their small ball basketball, and we say, oh, Chet was supposed to be there. Poku was there early in the season, and I even think he, him being there would have made them, not that they need it, they've been winning anyway because Shea is a freak and, and their young guys have gotten better, but even he would have given them a little bit more uh, structure. What Dario Charge is doing them for them now, he could have continued to do and, and has a higher ceiling. Um, I think he's I think he's a real player now, and I think he still has a pretty high ceiling considering how raw he was. He's only 21. So uh, it, it it's a little bit of a silly pick, but I actually really do believe in him to continue to, to you know, really be a piece for what they're building as they actually try to turn the page toward winning. That's going to be on the graph. He kind of got good defensively this year when he was yeah. still playing. Like, he was blocking a lot of shots. Yeah, that's probably not who I would have picked in that spot, but I, I love the pick because when he entered the league, he was the youngest player in the league. So to still be 21, I mean, he's like Brandon Miller's age, and he's got three uh, three years of experience already. So, yeah, that's a, that's a good pick that could age even better a few years from now. Oh, I thought you were going to say ages. worse, and I was. That's why I started to laugh. But he was 17th in this draft, which is kind of crazy to think uh, how high he went. Look, the draft is weird, but like I look value, I get it. Br Ricky, you're up. Who are you picking? 
All right, I'm going to go with the guy who got cut this year. Give me Isaiah Joe, who has been another part of the Thunders. Sort of turnaround. Just like an insanely good shooter. High volume, super quick release, can hit from anywhere on the floor. Uh, I think at this point, like, maybe it's because I've watched too many Bulls games this year and they have nobody who can even attempt a three-pointer. But you just need volume shooting, (laughs) especially around really high-level players. And... Isaiah Joe is a high-volume, highly accurate shooter. Not too surprised Doc couldn't find a spot for him because that's kind of Doc's <laughs> MO, but yeah. I think that Joe's... He, like, he is in... Look at his on-off splits in OKC this year. He's made all their lineups significantly better. I think he's going to be a piece for them long-term, and yeah, I'll go with him. He's a high, uh, he's he, a super high IQ player, too. Like, when you watch him out there, he's... The Suns have played the Thunder like five times in the past week, it feels like. So I've watched, and he's killed them every single time. So I've gotten to see a lot of his best moments. So maybe I'm overreacting to those. But um, when he's out there, he he makes defensive plays. He creates steals. He has super long arms. And uh, you, I, I think that those on-off splits aren't lying. Like he, he really kind of completes lineups that need his shooting and he doesn't sacrifice too much on defense. So... Uh, that is a bold pick, but I like it. His contract, just for the record, is like, I don't know who advised him to sign this, even though he's coming off of getting cut, but he signed a three-year, $6 million contract in October. In, in October. And he'd made 1.8, 1.8 this year. is going to make 1.9, basically right at $2 million next year. And he has a, non, a team option for $2.164 million in 2024-2025. Who advised him to sign this contract at like what what are we doing here? Isaiah Sounds Joe's like Sam Hinky is his agent. Yeah. That, yeah. That's the like, classic, are, right? That's the like, special. What are we doing here? I like if this is a guy that was like hitting like the market this summer, a good team would be like, here's part of our MLE or something and be like, we need shooting. Like here's five million dollars a year at the minimum. What are we doing here? I don't understand this. Don't sign long contracts like that when you're like twenty years old. Dumb. All right. Um, how do I, I? I don't understand how neither of you picked this guy, but it worked out for me. I'm gonna take Josh Green. Yeah. Like has turned into like a really I'm nice nervous role player that everybody Dallas. in Dallas broke him. That's why I didn't take him. To answer your look, question. The vibes, I'm worried that, the, the, that it's the, just <laughs> over already as quickly as it started this season. Uh, look, Brennan, they are just out here questioning authority. Okay. And I didn't like name names. Re- I mean, I maybe. Why, what I, if I was I talking did, about I Jason Kidd? I didn't either. Look, they the, right. the vibes with the Dallas Mavericks are not uh, are not good at the moment. But Josh Green is just like turning into like a nice player. Like I obviously you know the the Bane thing goes down is the thing there. But forty percent of threes this year, play makes does all of this stuff where like this guy is a winning playoff contributing basketball player, really smart basketball player. Took a little bit of time obviously to grow up, but like that's like a dude for them. And wherever he, I don't know exactly how you evaluate him on a contract. I think that that can still be kind of tricky, but this is just a guy that has actually really developed into a nice piece. It took a little bit, but he's a contributing winning basketball player, better on threes this year, better on twos this year. There's, there's very little I don't like about, about where Josh Green is at right now as as I got to play off of Luca or to, or to, to be with Dallas as they kind of go forward there. Sick athlete. That's mm-hmm. the first thing that always jumped out about him. I saw him playing high school, actually, on the UAA circuit when I was doing a grassroots trip. Watched him in Arizona quite a bit, too. And I was really blown away at just how much more craft he has this year than he did earlier in his career. Getting into, you know, mid-range pull-ups, being able to get downhill more effectively, uh, and being able to get to his finishing package. So he's been awesome. I think he's another guy you wish he was a couple inches bigger, then he could be like a real wing stopper. What is he, like 6'5", maybe? 
He's listed at six uh, six, but like doesn't always okay. feel doesn't really feel six six. He's he's really intriguing. Between him and Hardy, Dallas has at least some hope for optimism, despite everything that's happened over the last month. Uh, one thing I would say in his stats that pop out to me is something to watch going forward. He's at cleaning the glass, hasn't at forty six percent on non corner threes this year. That is like a very very high number. And if if that like if that drops a little bit, and maybe he's better on corner threes next year, and that kind of that kind of levels out to some degrees at thirty nine percent this year, like maybe maybe that like takes away a little bit, but I, I I still would trust the overall package. Yeah, Sean Miller tried his hardest to break this guy. I watched him a lot in Tucson at Arizona. Um, I think I saw him you know a handful, half dozen times live, and uh, I really didn't see it. I thought that. I thought that if if the ball handler uh, sort of role that he came up as in high school wasn't really going to be there for him anymore and the jumper wasn't amazing, I had just questions about sort of what he was going to be more so than if he had talent and he's figured it out. He's he's turned the he's even better as a three-point shooter this year than he was in college, so he's he's made legit improvements there and he's not going to be a primary ball handler, but he's definitely good if he's your third or fourth best ball handler on the court and that's what he's been with Dallas a lot and and that role seems really perfect for him I hope they keep him I think he he fits really well with what I would imagine is a, a perfect Luka team although I'm not sure anyone there knows what that actually is look if they don't keep him like Luka should just demand to be traded like the next day like what are you doing if you're not keeping like the one good player you've drafted aside from like Hardy like that like that's like that's the whole point of like hitting on some of those draft picks so they, I mean, I think I they would resign him. When I said if they keep him, I was thinking potentially another trade, but you know, we'll see. Well, all right, Brendan, you're up. We got three more picks. Who are we going here? Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to go with KJ Martin um, okay. here, who uh, I just think is turned into a, a really, really solid two way role player. He has amazing hops, as, as everybody sees in highlights week to week but also has turned himself into a pretty solid three-point shooter. Another guy who can create turnovers on defense. Um, if, if you're asking him to, you know, space the floor, occasionally cut or, you know, crash the boards on offense and then, you know, be a forward defender on defense, I feel like you could do a lot worse for a role player. And I also just love the confidence of demanding a trade from the Houston Rockets in year three of your career. So I, I, I love all I, of that. I would also want to get out of the Houston Rockets situation, though, if I'm being honest. I'm not. I'm like the opposite yeah, no, of James I, Harden. I respect the confidence. I also respect the uh, accuracy of the of the belief. It's just <laughs> it's it's right on all counts. Yes. All right, Ricky, your last right. pick. Who are we going with? Yeah. I'll go Pat Will here. Patrick wow, Williams. I think okay. this is about pr- probably where he should have gone. What pick is this? Like 13 this is, or 14? We're at, we're at 14. So bat, like, this is like officially this would be the last pick of the lottery. I, I'm going to have like the first pick outside the lottery. This is where Patrick Williams was projected to go up until a week before the draft when the Pistons were like, oh, we're going to take him at seven. And then the Bulls <laughs> on draft day were like, we're going to take him at four. Uh, the best is yet to come for Patrick Williams, I think. And I think he has made some solid improvements this year. Last year, he gets hurt in the fifth game of the season, going up for a dunk. Mitchell Robinson undercuts him. He breaks his wrist, came back for the playoffs. uh, But it was just really an incomplete season for him. And for a guy who was the youngest American-born player in the NBA his rookie year, only behind Poco as the youngest player in the league, 
He just needed some reps. This year, he's played every game, so he's proven his durability. I think you could now definitively say he's a plus on the defensive end. Uh, he is another guy who, as a four, can provide some rim protection. I didn't think that he'd be able to hold up as a wing stopper as well as he has because I thought he was a little slow laterally in terms of getting over screens. But he can play multiple roles defensively. I think he's been pretty good in the wing stopper role. I think he's pretty good as like a weak side supplemental rim protector. Uh, offensively, very good three-point shooter if he's wide open. <laughs> if someone puts any sort of closeout on him, he's going to pump fake into a travel. But uh, if he's open, he'll hit the shot. And his shooting numbers, both from the three-point line and the free-throw line, have been really good all year. He's also pretty good at like getting into his mid-range game. The Bulls don't really like to let him do that because the Bulls lead the league in mid-range shots as it is, and they really need like a higher-volume player a higher volume three-point shooter in his role. Uh, but I still think there's there's a lot to Pat that we haven't seen yet. Also, like, there's just not a lot of oxygen in the Bulls' offense with three high-usage offensive players like DeRozan, Levine, and Vucevic, uh, especially for someone who, like, let's say doesn't have the alpha mentality. Uh, I think that Patrick Williams on another team, he could be more suited to put up more consistent numbers. My dream, my dream is for Patrick Williams to average 15 points a game for one month, let alone for the <laughs> whole year. He's never done it. I don't know if he ever will do it, uh, but I'd like to believe it's possible. I think he has, he just has too many enticing flashes offensively and too many different ways you could use him. You use him as a role man, as a spot up man. He can create a little bit off the pick and roll, get into his mid-range. He is a really bad one-footed leaper, which is one thing I've noticed. Like, I think that's why his finishing isn't uh, always great. He's great off two feet. If he gets time to load up, he can hammer home a dunk. But one foot, not quite as quick. Uh, yeah. He feels like the that. poor man's Paolo. Is that is that a reasonable description? Yeah. Really poor man's Paolo. Paolo's really yeah. good. He's trying but to be yeah, nice I, to Patrick. I do, I, I do like that. Like, are we talking like Aldi Palo? By the way, can we just talk sure. for a second? Dollar store. Palo Bancaro having Huevos Bancheros, like PEs of his Tatum one, is an A plus move. And we need like a brunch themed like line of basketball stuff. I'm just like, that's just for me personally. But Huevos Bancaros is like really incredible work by Nike. And I haven't seen enough talk about this. So I just wanted to make sure that this got mentioned before it became untimely. These like incredible. I'm not even like a big like shoe guy like that, but like huevos bancaros. That's just, that's just really good. Is he a change of scene? Is Pat will like a change of scenery guy or is this like a bulls can figure it out with him guy? Yeah. I just think like it's, there's just not a lot of oxygen for him on offense. Like you got three guys who suck up so many of the shots. He's kind of a little bit timid as it is offensively, but I think you could say coming into this year, it's like, okay, he's theoretically good defensively, but is he actually good? And this year, I'm ready to say Patrick Williams actually good defensively. Now, if he can ever operate at above a 15% usage rate, I mean, it's over. But hasn't been able to do that to this point of his career. That's fair. All right, my last pick of this little exercise. Some names that I'm not picking, that I but I think are worth kind of looking at as names here. Isaac Okoro is not who I'm picking, but I think he's actually had a nice little year here. He's worth, he looks like he's going to be like a guy who gets like a second and maybe like a third contract. That's, that's a win considering some of the shot stuff with him was really rough. Um, I think you could look at, I think like it's not who I would do, but if you wanted to say James Wiseman's potential is still worth looking at, I think like he, he would certainly be in play here. 
I, I don't think that's that's an insane thing to kind of think about. Um, I think you could look at Denny Abdijah, who I think has had like a kind of an all right year um, in with Washington in, in certain aspects. But I'm going to go Cole Anthony. I, I'm just like a, I, I, I realize picking Cole Anthony in quickly, if I was like actually building a team, which we're not, is, is sort of redundant. But I like what Cole Anthony is. I like the confidence. I like the, th- the three-point shooting. I like that he feels like a guy that you're gonna, he's going to have a, like just a really nice career as a bench scorer, as kind of a microwave kind of guy. I know what I'm getting in him. I kind of know like what exactly what he is. And I think he knows what he is, right? Like I, I think he just kind of understands. Like, I think you know, he, he thinks he's like college. three times as good as he is. And I don't even mean that okay. in a disrespectful way. That's, that's I, I, great. Yeah, it's true. But I'm just, it's accurate when you watch him. Like the guy thinks he's, he's a, great. you know, a superstar. You need those. Look, this was like a this was like a really like high thought of prospect. I think Ricky can correct me on that, but I think he came into college oh, yeah. like very high up on the lists, and then he obviously doesn't, and he's picked much later in the, like a, the 15th overall pick in the 2020 draft, and he's not like going to be like an all star or anything like that with Orlando. Like he's obviously going to be if if he ends up staying there, he goes elsewhere. He's going to be like a bench microwave guy. But I just like what he provides, and it, I don't know how scalable he is as on a good team. I think that's kind of an open question. But I like generally kind of what I know what I'm getting from Cole Anthony. Would you guys have picked somebody? I'll different? just never for. I'll, I'll just never forget the putting on Tim's in the dunk yeah. contest. That that was the defining Cole Anthony moment, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Surprise, Sadiq Bay didn't go. I'm a little. So number one, that dunk contest, I was there in person. It sucked, and I just I forgot that that happened until you just said that. Number two, um, I uh, Sadiq Bay is like I I like he he has things I really like, and I I think like the three point shooting and the size is like a, is enough for a flyer. I the, some of the stuff with him just never making a ton of twos is just like weird for me as a guy. Like, and I just don't totally understand that. I how he looks in Atlanta could totally like change kind of my sway in him because I kind of like him as maybe a closing fit over this version of John Collins that's just like not really making shots the way you would you'd perhaps like. But he it, what he kind of does from here I think will be kind of interesting. But certainly like if you're talking about like who had I feel like a fifty point game like this is that's a guy who can who can get him up and can absolutely make a ton of three. So I I don't think that he's shooting. F- Holy crap. He's shooting 46% from, or excuse me, he's shooting 57.8% on, as an effective field goal percentage this year, 44.2% on threes with Atlanta so far. So maybe I should have picked Sadiq Bay, but I won't look cool. I thought about me. taking him over Patrick Williams and was like, eh, I kind of like Patrick Williams' defensive upside more than, yeah. you know, the higher volume shooting from Bay. But Bay's pretty good. If Bay's not going in the top 15 in this draft, maybe this draft is better than we thought it was. Yeah, the stubborn part of me wanted to pick Precious Achua, but I just—I mean, it's year three, haven't really seen it consistently. I just—I'm—I'm I'm enticed. I'm—I'm in, I'm intoxicated by him, but he's 23 now, and it just hasn't ever really come together. So, um, but that was the—that would have been my next pick if—if if we kept it going. Yeah. Then after that, I think you get into like once you get through those guys, you get through Okoro. I think you're kind of. Your Wiseman, Toppin. Xavier Tillman, yeah. baby. Xavier yeah. Tillman playing Tillman, a key role for Memphis. Tillman in this class. This is where we're on the, the Tillman. Tillman. He he is ninth in this class in value over replacement. Ninth. I don't know why that surprised me. B-Ball Paul 16th for whatever that's worth. Someone should have taken B-Ball Paul, I think honestly. that's an indictment of the stat more than the draft class, to be honest with you. Yes. Jalen Smith is 21st. Yeah, great. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll let it there, Ricky. Anything you want to plug from the great work you're doing over Espionation as we get out of here? Eh, 
Eh, not really. You can find anything <laughs> I write about college hoops or the NBA on SBNation.com. And uh, read my guy J.P. Acosta's stuff and Mark Schofield's stuff and James DeTore's stuff. And we're still here. We're still doing it. So I'm very tired. March Madness is a tiring time for me. But it's yes. super fun. I was in KC for the Elite Eight. That rocked. Yep. Read about Miami. You can check that out if you want to. Really good story. So, yeah. Uh, NBA draft season coming up. Very excited to keep reading Ricky's mocks and pick his brain on different like deeps. If I when it, when you get it when he gets a random text about like a second round prospect, or I'm like Amoni Bates second round pick, yes, and he'll be like Chris, just just stop. Like, okay, thumbs up. He's like the Wasn't opposite of up. he's like the opposite of Evan Moby's body type in terms of arm length. So I feel like it would just be fun to see like the T Rex arms and then like the the longest arms in the NBA, like kind of like super long guy in the court together. Personally. That's just, like, for me personally, though, that would just be great. Brendan, take us out. Yeah, follow us on social wherever you are. We are Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and follow or subscribe wherever you're listening or finding the show. We'll be back later this week for one more episode as we head toward the playoffs. Sad, everybody.